our ministry is dedicated to helping families all over the world follow Jesus together. And tonight, we're going to face into one of the most urgent issues that our families and our culture uh, are, is dealing with, and that is the whole issue of LGBT and sexuality. Particularly tonight, I'm going to focus on how to care for uh, children or family members who may be struggling. Uh, I believe that the best place to talk about these things is in the family of God, where we can be honest, where we can talk about God's grace and God's truth and care for each other. This is not a light topic. By the way, this QR code up here, the last, I shared this message most recently at the D6 conference, which is the National Conference for Family Ministry Leaders down in Florida. And uh, we have a whole bunch of free resources that we gave to the pastors. And since I'm sharing a, a shortened version of the message with you all tonight, I wanted to give you all those free resources that I gave to them. And that, that QR code will pop up a couple more times during, um, <clears throat> during our time together. So again, not a light topic. We've got so many people, we've got so many teenagers right now struggling with their sexual identity, sexual formation. Uh, and I do have a little bit of a challenge tonight because I'm attempting to take two like hour-long messages. When a church asks me to come in and speak on this, we do two hours and plenty of Q&A. I'm whittling that down to 40 minutes, probably not a good idea. It, lets, it leaves a lot of important, delicate things uh, addressed too quickly. So that QR code will also take you to our YouTube page where that full two-hour uh, workshop is available for you to watch uh, on YouTube. So what I want to do is I'm going to try to touch on four aspects of this conversation. Number one, the nature of Christian ministry. Number two, biblical sexuality 101. Number three, areas of confusion in the church. And then as quickly as I can, I'm going to get to principles for helping, particularly a family member, uh, a child, a grandchild, a sibling, uh, who may be struggling with their sexual formation. So starting point number one, I want to talk to you about the nature of Christian ministry and with this principle that the Christian and the Christian church is called to a ministry of compassion and a ministry of justice, a ministry of compassion and a ministry of justice. So let me give you examples from other fields. Let's say we have a young lady experiencing a crisis pregnancy and we love her and we love her baby. What kind of ministry do we have toward her? A ministry of compassion, right? A ministry of love and care and support. At the same time, we have businesses and politicians who want to kill more babies in our culture. So the Christian and the Christian church has a ministry of justice, of speaking out against the murder of babies, against injustice, using our voice and our vote and our money and all those things to speak against that. So same thing with, with poverty care. God says we ought to care for the poor. So any person in our sphere of influence or that God gives us an opportunity to help who is in financial crisis, what kind of ministry do we have to them? Ministry of compassion, a ministry of care for this person who is struggling. At the same time then, the Christian and the Christian church speaks out against economic structures, socialism, communism, any government systems that are designed to create poverty and keep people in poverty in order to control them. So we speak out against those evils 
while we have a ministry of compassion for those that are in need. The whole issue of LGBT is similar. And a lot of conflicts happen in the church because you're having different conversations. One person is coming at the conversation related to sexuality, talking about the need to have compassion for someone who's struggling, and the other person is talking about it in terms of speaking out with a prophetic voice against the evil in our culture. So when we have a friend, when we have a child, when we have a family member who's struggling with their sexuality, they are attracted to the same sex, they think they're trapped in the wrong body, what kind of ministry do we have with them? Ministry of compassion. We love them. We care for them. We're burdened as we see them uh, trapped and in bondage to this. We have a ministry of personal care. I remember uh, in my years as a youth pastor, I had one particular week where I had three identical conversations with teenage boys who came into my office to talk to me. Uh, The conversation was the same all three times. The young man said, I'm struggling with same-sex feelings. I'm attracted to boys. I'm struggling with, with homosexual feelings. And the first thing I would say to each one of them is just thank you, thank you, thank you for coming to me and talking to me. That required so much courage for you to do that. And I'm just glad you're here. I love you and God loves you. Now t- tell me more. Let's, let's talk about this. And one of the themes that came through with all three of these young men is that they said they didn't want to live anymore. And we began to unpack that. I said, well, well I, boy, I'm so concerned. Obviously, I want you safe right now. Um, are you getting teased? Are you getting ridiculed? Are you getting shunned? No, not at all. The opposite. Everyone's telling me this is awesome. Everyone's telling me this is good. Everyone's telling me I should act on these feelings. Everyone's telling me, here's what they all said. Everyone's telling me this will never change. And if that's true, I don't want to live anymore. There are issues of self-harm and suicide related to kids that are struggling with their sexual formation. But that's what it's tied to. It's tied to this tremendous struggle and shame and confusion. We have to have a ministry of compassion. But at the same time, the Christian has to have a ministry of, uh, of justice. This was a long time ago. This is all the way back in the 90s. Uh, Glenbard West High School in the Chicago area, a freshman health class. I had a, a teenager in the youth group bring me the handout from the first day of school. So freshman in high school, first day of school, health class, handout from the teacher. Question number one on the self-assessment of your health. Question number one, is it possible you only think you're heterosexual because you have not had good homosexual sex? Question one, freshman year. So I get this paper. I photocopy it. There's no email friends. There's no scanning, right? Okay, I guess they're scanning. But there's, so I photocopy it and we pass that around to all the parents in the church and say, if you have a kid in this school, you need to speak up. You need to have a ministry of justice. This is child abuse. And the Christian community has to have a ministry of justice. So we have to stand against the structures and the systems that want to abuse our children. And now we're into all of the hormone treatment and the castration and the chopping off the body parts and adding the body parts, all these things that are just so, so evil. We're going to stand up against the forces that want the boys to change in the girls' room and the girls to change in the boys' room. We're going to stand up against the forces that want to have drag queen story hour at the library. They get so upset when we say, look, kids shouldn't be there. 
But, but you know, the, the question isn't, why are you Christians all upset about not having the kids there? The proper question is, why is it so important to you that the kids are there? And there's an answer to that question. That's a conversation probably for another day. In other words, we need to have a ministry of justice. And what I want to say to you, we're going to be focusing on the ministry of compassion tonight, but hear me on this. At the end of the day, the Christian church loses the right to have a ministry of compassion if we neglect the ministry of justice. If we don't speak out about the truth that God's given us in love, we lose the right to care. And we lose the right to help on that individual level. So with that politically correct intro, uh, let's get to some essential starting points and try to get to this issue of personal care. Um, Let's talk first of all about God's truth about sexuality. One of the mistakes I think sometimes parents make is when we eventually talk to our kids about sexuality, we immediately jump into all of these complicated things. There are parts of sexual conversation and sexual identity which are more difficult, more complicated, more sensitive, and we start talking to our kids about that before we've ever given them like biblical sexuality 101. So what I want to try to do is to, to, you know how at home you got different pens in the drawer, you got your pen and you got your Sharpie and you got the fat Sharpie? We're going to get the fat Sharpie because that's the one that draws the big clear lines, right? And once we get the big clear lines down about God's gift of sexuality, then we can begin to explore and have the boundary and the framework for the more difficult questions. So here we go. Uh, Number one, uh, God's truth about sexuality, and you've got this on your outline. Number one, God made a man and a woman. There's only two sexes. There's only two genders. You see, people today uh, will say, well, biologically, I'm male, but my gender is female. My gender is the way I view uh, myself, but that doesn't match what God said in his creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this truth is built in to the chromosomal level and it can't be removed no matter how much you want to remove it. Uh, This subject matter obviously does not lend itself to jokes and funny stories, okay? So I can't really give that for you tonight, but I will make a, a small attempt here. On Amazon, there is this shirt. It says, I'm pantastic, which means that I don't identify as male or female. I identify kind of as everything. If you want to buy the shirt, the first thing you have to select is your fit type, whether you are a man or a woman. I'm not making this up, friends, and I'm just putting this up here to say, look, you, can't, you just can't escape, okay, God's, uh, God's design. Number two, marriage is a covenant relationship created by God for one man and one woman. This is the teaching of Genesis And it's also the teaching of Jesus. Genesis chapter 2, up on the screen here, says, Therefore, a man will leave father, a man, singular, shall leave his father, singular, and his mother, singular, and hold fast to his wife, singular, and they, the two of them, shall become one flesh. It's also taught by Jesus. Some of the things you might hear is, well, the Bible stuff about sexuality is just kind of Old Testament stuff, and that's all bad, and, and we don't need that. So let me show you what Jesus said. 
uh, Jesus is talking about the issue of marriage and divorce in Matthew 19. And Jesus says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man, singular, shall leave his father, singular, and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. So Jesus positively defines marriage and sexuality. From a Christian perspective, we reject the notion that marriage is a social construct, that it's a man-made idea that folks just kind of figured out and said, hey, let's try that. That God created it, and as the creator, then he, uh, he defines it. Now, I want to talk to you about God's purposes for sex, okay? God's purposes for sex. Three purposes. You lock yourself in a room with the Bible. God, why did you create this gift of sex? Number one, uniting the spirit of husband and wife. Number two, making babies. And number three, pleasure, Okay, number three, pleasure. We want to teach our children that sexuality and manhood and womanhood, these are beautiful things. These are wonderful things. These are great things that God made. And he created sexuality to be a gift inside one man, one woman marriage. When I talk to teenagers about this, obviously we're going to encourage them to flee sexual immorality. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Flee sexual immorality, right? Save yourself for marriage. And I give this picture. I say to the young men, I say, okay, you're 14, 15, 16 years old. Your hormones are getting started. Everything in you wants to be sexually active. Like it's the, the heat under the pot. You're starting to boil. I want you to keep a lid on the pot. All right. And I know it's pressurizing, but I want you to keep. And then young ladies, okay, your hormones are kicking in and you want to use this uh, gift of sexuality God's given you. There's the heat under the pot. I want you to keep a lid on the pot. Okay. And I know it's getting pressurized and I need you to wait for Mrs. Wright and you to wait for Mr. Wright. And then you get married and unleash it on each other the rest of your life. <laughs> the boys out there are like, Wah! that'd be awesome. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. It's a good thing. Right? It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing that God has, has created. Okay, uh, we're, we're going through the basics with the big Sharpie. Next one. Uh, oh, I, I made, I made uh, skip some. God's purposes for sex. Now Satan's purposes for sex. You ready? He's going to cross off number one and number two. It's not about uniting the spirit of husband and wife. It's not about making babies. It's all about pleasure. That's the purpose. And this next one, I don't have time to develop. I'm just going to give it to you so you can research it yourself. The other perversion of sexuality by Satan is for demonic worship. Friends, you read through the Bible and you go to many parts of the world, right? There are demonic uh, false god worship centers that when you go there, you engage in like cult prostitutes. Have you heard about this kind of thing? You'll engage in sexual acts in order to worship these false gods. So that is a whole other sermon for another day. Let's talk about this next one. We gotta teach our kids that God says to flee from sexual immorality, flee from sexual immorality. Now what is sexual, this is 1 Corinthians 6.18. What is sexual immorality? It's any use of sexuality outside one man, one woman marriage. So inside here, one man, one woman marriage, Anything outside of that, promiscuity, adultery, pornography, masturbation, polygamy, bestiality, homosexuality, sex with children, lust, fantasy, you name it. Now, what is the command or the verb in 1 Corinthians 6.18? Blank sexual immorality. What's the command? Flee. Flee. Which is run in the other direction as fast as you can. 
Now, I remember when I was in high school and boys are sitting down with the youth pastor, one of the big questions that Christian boys in a youth group want to ask the youth pastor, and I'm asking my youth pastor, is how far is too far? Right? How far can I go? Because I'm a Christian and like I want to be a Christian and stuff, but how much can I do with my girlfriend and things still be okay? In other words, like I know there's like a cliff and bad stuff can happen, but I'd like to kind of get my toes over the cliff and lean out as far as possible without, without going over. Can you see that's not, what, what's the command, 1 Corinthians? Flee, like run away from that as fast as you possibly can. Now, very specifically, uh, homosexual behavior, along with many other forms of sexual immorality, are specifically addressed in Scripture. Here is a New Testament passage, 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Timothy 1.9, the lawless. This is in these, uh, these portions of Scripture where a bunch of sins are listed. They're pretty brutal. The lawless, the disobedient, the godly and the sinners, the unholy and the profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, goes on to say that they will not have their place in the kingdom of heaven. This is the New Testament teaching. Another thing we got to teach our kids is that God offers forgiveness for all sin through Christ, as well as transformation of our hearts and affections. You may be familiar with this passage in, in uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Oh, I messed that up, did I, all right? Um, okay, that's wrong. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've had a lot of conversations with people, particularly related to sexual sin, who have said, Rob, I don't think that God can forgive me. Either they feel they've sinned too big or sinned too often. Part of the reason for that is because the sexual nature is so deep to who God made us to be that when we sin in that area, the shame is just off the charts, which is why it's so difficult for that child to open up and to confess and to talk about things that they're, they're struggling with. But let me tangent on this for just a minute. A person who has a hard time or they just can't believe that God could forgive their sin, they have half the picture right. Bear with me. They see their sin as huge. As, as horrible, as, as deserving judgment. Their view of their sin is very large. The problem is the thing they're missing is their view of Christ is too small. You know, the Bible tells us very little about what Jesus looked like physically. Only three passages, all in the book of Isaiah, they're all prophecies actually, that tell us physically what Jesus looked like. One prophecy is that as they were torturing him, they plucked his beard. Well, that tells us what? Had a beard. I mean, number one. Uh, another one, and this is, uh, let's see if I have it here. Yeah. I'm going to paraphrase it. It's Isaiah chapter 53. It said, there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You hear that? 
There was nothing in his appearance. He does not, apparently he's not tall. Apparently he's not muscular. Apparently he wasn't striking or unusually. I, I don't want to say Jesus was ugly. That feels a little sacrilegious. Let's say plain. Could we say that? Nothing in his appearance that you would be desired to him. The third and only other place that we are told anything about what Jesus looked like is his appearance on the cross. And it's Isaiah chapter 52. I'll put that on the screen for you. His appearance was so marred beyond human likeness and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. When he was on the cross, he didn't even look human. Now, why would God tell us that? Tell us that to say that Jesus suffered enough, paid in full. What does he say on the cross? It is finished. This is so critical as you care for your children, as you care for yourself, anyone in your life, as you're sharing Christ's love for them. Our sin is big, our sin is serious, but it's nothing compared to the cross and the payment that Jesus has made for us. What percentage of teenagers are gonna struggle with their sexual formation, sexual thoughts, lust, pick your thing? What percentage of teenagers are gonna have some struggles along this path? What number? Okay, I agree with you. Hypothetically then, what percentage of your children might have some struggles along the way. What's the number? Right. So we're going to be prepared with the Lord's heart of love and compassion for something that every single one of us struggle with. I I need to move quickly through this part, so forgive me. I want to talk briefly about common areas of confusion in the church. One area of confusion, people will say, well, Jesus never talked about this, but he did in the scripture that I just talked about. He speaks precisely to manhood, womanhood, marriage. He talks about lust. He talked about adultery. Uh, Well, sometimes I respond to this. Well, Jesus never talked about beating your wife. So if he never talked about it, I guess it's cool. Well, that'd be absurd, okay? Uh, You understand, how many of you have a red letter Bible? Anybody got a red letter Bible? Okay, words of Jesus in the red letters. You understand when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing the gospels, they didn't have a black pen and a red pen? right? If you wanted to be accurate, you'd have your whole Bible in red. Every word is equally the word of Christ. And we get into, this is a sermon for another day, you're going to get into horrible theological disasters if you elevate the spoken words of Jesus in the New Testament above his other spoken words throughout Scripture. Another area of confusion in the church is you will hear someone say, well, the New Testament teaches there is no male or female. And they are quoting Galatians chapter 3, this passage. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You will see this happen all the time. 
when it comes to attacks on the truth of scripture, people will take a scripture that this scripture has absolutely nothing to do with sexuality. Nothing. The entire question of this scripture is who can receive salvation through faith in Christ? And what's the answer? Everybody, anybody. That's what this list is all about. This passage has absolutely nothing to do with sexuality. So here's what people do. The scriptures that speak about sexuality, they don't like. So they cross those off and they go to another passage that has nothing to do with sexuality, but they kind of like a phrase in the middle of it and bring it over and apply it there. All right, next one. You'll hear this. If God created a person with homosexual attraction or a different gender identity, how can that be wrong? The, the word the word goes like this. You Christians are horrible. And the reason why you're so horrible is that you teach that some people are wired up correctly, i.e. heterosexually. And you say that these other people are wired up wrongly, that their attractions and are, are wrong and they're all backwards. That's just horrible to say that some people are naturally good and other people are naturally bad. Well, that, that's not what we teach. We don't teach that some people are wired up right and some people are wired up wrong. We teach everybody's wired up wrong. Everybody. <laughs> that our natural wiring... Yeah, I don't mean to be graphic here, but I'm 13, 14 years old. Okay, puberty kicks in. All those hormones kick in. My wiring says to be sexual with as many of those girls as possible. That's my wiring. And is my wiring good or bad? Bad. <laughs> and I need to take that to the Lord. God, I am all messed up. My natural desires are, are, are wrong. Lord, help me not to act on those things. And actually, God, I want you to rewire me. I want you to rewire me to please you. And now as a married man, God, would you rewire all of my sexual attraction just for my wife? Wire me up right. And the, the key thing that we have to deal with here is that just because there's a desire for something doesn't make it moral, healthy, or good. The two big things in the headlines right now, and the wave is just coming, one is polygamy. I'm wired up to be with multiple people. And the other one is I'm wired up to be with children. That's the plus. Sermon for another day. If I have this desire and the child has this desire, how can that be wrong? Well, these are the things that we're having to face into and deal with. From a Christian worldview, we can never say that our feelings, our desires, our passions are right simply because we have them. All right, finally. Let's get to talking about helping some friends and families and family members who are struggling, uh, particularly perhaps children. Uh, a child, a sibling, a friend comes out as, as gay or they say that they're trapped in the wrong body. Um, how can we respond here? Okay, number one, and I think you have this on your outline, number one is to pray for a heart of compassion. Pray yourself that the Lord would give you a heart of compassion. Jesus in Matthew 9 looks out at this crowd of lost souls and the scripture says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Your attitude is going to be essential to bringing help to this family member who is hurting. Number two, affirm their courage and honesty in talking to you about it. 
Again, there's tremendous shame that's built into any kind of sexual brokenness. So anyone who's willing to open up that part of their life to you is doing a very, very brave thing. And we want to affirm them. We want to thank them. Eye to eye, thank you so much. I can't imagine the courage that it took for you for you to share this with me. Thank you for doing that. You see, especially we see this with teenagers right now. Teenagers that are going down these paths, they're oftentimes a part of online communities that are feeding the confusion, okay? And one of the things that they're told is for sure if you have Christian parents, you can't tell them because they'll kick you out of the house, they'll tell you you're going to hell and they hate you and they're never, you're never gonna see them again. Now, in all my years of ministry, I have never seen that happen. Now, am I saying it has never happened? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it has. But I've never actually seen that response from Christian parents. But you see, this is what gets fed to the child. And so as this first comes to light, the parent's first reaction is very critical, which is, thank you, a teenage girl, thank you so much for opening up and giving us your heart. Thank you for telling us this. And we just want you to know, first thing, we love you. And we are not going anywhere we are gonna walk this journey with you. Now tell us more. We really wanna understand what's ha- what you've been thinking and your journey and talk, 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 talk. So you see right away that girl has uh, like a worldview crisis, doesn't she? Because everything she's been taught by that online community is that your Christian parents are psychos and they're gonna hate you forever. And then all of a sudden she goes to bed. She's like, my Christian parents told me they loved me and I'm still in my bed and they want to talk to me again tomorrow, and my mom's going to still make me breakfast like usual. Do you see what's happening right in her heart? See, we have to dislodge her. She's been taken captive, hasn't she? By the hollow and deceptive philosophies of the world, which depend upon human tradition rather than Christ. So we're on this rescue mission with this girl. This next one, affirm your care for them and your commitment to them uh, with a child. Being very direct, you can share anything with me. Amy has this wonderful phrase that she'll use with the children when they're sharing something vulnerable. She'll say, I'm the safest person in the world for you to give your heart to. Well, your dad too. But me, you know, she's having the the conversation as a mom in that that moment. I'm never gonna abandon you. I'm not gonna turn my back on you. Number four, ask them to share more of their journey with you. When did these feelings start? What have you been doing with those feelings? In order to shepherd a child, care for a child through this, we really have to have a deeper understanding. When it finally surfaced, it didn't start the day before. Okay, this, has, this seed has been growing. These roots have been growing and getting tangled up for months, uh, if not years. And we want to keep the conversation going. Keep the conversation going. And there's two parts of the conversation that we have to keep going. We got to be full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and full of truth. That describes Jesus's ministry in John chapter one. Most parents are better at one than the other. Full of, what, what do you mean full of grace, full of truth? Full of grace is... I love you no matter what. I'm committed to you. I'm never going to abandon you. That, and you say that 20 different ways. That's full of grace. Full of truth is I'm concerned for you. I'm burdened for you. I see you going down a path 
that God does not want you to go down. And saying that a bunch of different ways, okay? So a lot of parents are better at one than the other. We've got some very graceful parents. They're really good at I love you no matter what, but not so good at having I'm concerned about you. We've got other parents that are really good at I'm concerned about you. We've got to talk and not so good at the I love you no matter what. So Jesus' dials both go up to 11, right, with grace and truth. And we want to ask for his help to do that. And these talks are not going to be singular talks. You've heard of the talk, right? We just did a couple podcasts on that, Family Vision podcast, you'll like that. But um, if you had great parents, my generation, if you had great parents, you got a thing called the talk. Most adults never got that. Raise your hand if you got, you got one talk, you got a talk. Hey, that's awesome, good for you. Raise your hand if you got nothing. Yeah, that's unbelievable. It's like 60%. Yeah, they never talked to me about that ever, right? So great parents, you got the talk. And the, if you got the talk, it was probably five or 10 minutes, kind of birds and the bees, right? The parts and where babies come from. And that was kind of it. I, um, this, I'd like to suggest this subject matter requires talks, right? Talks, talks, talks. I had a young man in our church about 13 years old, came to me uh, and confessed that he was struggling with pornography. So I went through some of the, thank you, so proud of you. You're so brave for talking to me about that. Shared grace and truth with him. And I asked him this question, have you told your dad? He's like, oh no, I haven't told my dad. I'm like, well, I'm gonna encourage you, tell your dad. That'd be so good for you. And your dad, right? God, God created your dad to be the one to shepherd you through this, right? I'm your pastor, but your dad is number one. And uh, he's like, okay, okay, I'm gonna tell my dad. So the young man tells his dad. And if you could script a, a, a response from a Christian father of full of grace and full of truth, like just home run, knock it out of the park when your kid confesses pornography, this, this dad did it. And I, I talked to the young man a couple weeks later. How'd it go? It's like, oh, it was great. That's awesome. Thank you, Pastor. And so in my uh, you know, little world, I put a little checkbox next to that kid. I don't have like a list with checkboxes, but <laughs> my point is I've passed him to his dad on this important area of discipleship, right? And the dad's obviously going to do the heavy lifting. A couple years go by. Young man comes back to me with a, another uh, struggle, something that he wants to talk about. Work through it. And I say, hey, Remember, last time you were with me, what did I challenge you to do? And he said, I'm not talking to him. Well, I thought last time, you know, you had the courage to talk to your dad. You told me it, w- it went great. He said, well, yeah, that conversation went great. And he never talked to me about it again. Folks, we have got to just continually have the courage to press in to these sensitive areas with our kids. A singular talk is just not gonna cut it. And I recommend a book to you from our friend Barrett Johnson called The Talks. Not The Talk, The Talks. And uh, you can get that on Amazon, it's, it's, uh, it's excellent, okay? Um, a- another thing here that you wanna do with your, your kids or your family members that may be struggling is to pour in hope, pour in hope. Early in the journey, there's usually a great sense of conflict or struggle or uh, difficulty. And so you're gonna be praying with them, praying for them, thanking God for his loving grace, asking for his help in this struggle, asking for his truth to break through, praying against sexual confusion, confessing sexual sin. And why do I say uh, pour in 
hope. I want to show you this hope very plainly in scripture. And I, I go back and I think about those three boys uh, in my office. And before I put the scripture on the screen, let me ask you a, a couple of questions. Do you think God can forgive um, a thief? Do you think also that God could work in a thief's heart so that he's not only forgiven, but that he doesn't thief anymore? All right? Can God forgive uh, a person who drinks too much? Could God also change that person's heart so they're no longer seeking and desperate for alcohol? Okay, so I'm repeating back what you told me. Not only can people be forgiven, but they can get rewired by the Lord, that he actually changes the heart and changes the affections. So let me show you this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You got a whole list of horrible things up there, right? And all sin is horrible. And what's the message? Not only as God speaks to these Christians in Corinth, not only he says, have you been forgiven? But you don't do that stuff anymore. You've been actually transformed. Your affections have been changed. And so the message, we've got to be giving the message to anyone struggling with sexual immorality not just homosexuality, not just uh, trans, the, the confusion of transgenderism, anything, promiscuity, adultery, lust, you name it, that God not only can forgive us for this, any sin that we're struggling with, any sexual sin, but also then transform our hearts and free us and actually change us. So we've got to unashamedly uh, teach and preach and share and encourage that the love and the power of God are so great that he can change our hearts. And now I'm not saying here specifically when it comes to homosexual attraction, that every single person who takes this to the Lord and repents and who confesses sins, that every single person are gonna have their, their feelings and passions and attractions transformed. Many, many, many will, but it's possible that some, uh, uh, some may not. On that, on that point, you know, we live in a culture that, that is obsessed with sexuality. And that sexual expression is the end-all, be-all. Like that's how you find joy and happiness in every sort of sexual thing. I want to suggest to you that Jesus was the happiest, most joyful person who ever lived. Would you agree with that premise? What was his sex life like? Unless I'm missing something, he was fully celibate, wasn't he? Right? So this whole idea that, that the, the pinnacle of human existence is sexual expression, or that's where ultimate joy is to be found, it just simply isn't true. Sex is a wonderful gift inside a marriage, but it is not the end-all, be-all. My time is short. Just a couple things quickly. With a child who's struggling, get time away for heart connection and relationship building. You are going to need more closeness in the relationship. We're gonna to need to take a trip. We're gonna to need to take some time off of school. We're gonna to need to get closer than we ever have before to walk this journey together. With older kids, we may have to establish some boundaries around unhealthy relationships. 
Say you have an adult child who has a homosexual partner. We want to show Christ's love to that man or that woman. So spending time with them, having coffee with them, having dinner with them, treating them with dignity and love and respect and praying for God to give you an opportunity to show God's love and mercy to them would be a wonderful ministry of compassion. In the same way, um, and there are Christians who would disagree with this, but I'll share with you my conviction. I don't believe that Christians should attend a homosexual wedding because a wedding is a worship service. It's a Christian event. And that's not something that we could celebrate. Now, again, some Christians may disagree uh, with that, but hey, we, I, I, and they say, well, you're rejecting us. No, no, I'll have coffee with you. We, come on over. Like, we can spend time together. I love you and I care about you but I can't celebrate something religiously with you in this way. You may have situations where you, can't, you don't allow a homosexual partner at family gatherings when children are present because that's gonna create confusion for little ones. You may have to instruct an older sibling who's struggling with their sexuality, hey, you can't have conversations about what you're going through with your 10-year-old sister. That's off limits. You can talk to me all you want. I, I, Take all the time that you want to talk to me, but you can't talk, uh, can't talk with her. The last one before I pray, and I know that, um, again, our time is short, but I would very much encourage you to seek family counseling. Seek family counseling. If your family won't go, you go. And obviously, I want you to seek Christian counseling. Uh, one of the things that can really mess you up is to go to a Christian counselor who doesn't counsel Christianly. That will create unmitigated disaster in your life. And it's, it's really easy. Well, I shouldn't say it's easy to find a great Christian counselor. It's easy to check a Christian counselor on this. So you just ask this counselor. You say, hey, I want to th we want to talk about coming as a family. Oh, and by the way, the reason why family counseling is so important, let's say we've got a teenage daughter who's uh, feeling trapped in the wrong body. Um, well, honey, we're going to send you to counseling. You're going to get fixed. Do you see what that, that message sends to her? Honey, listen, we're all in this together, and the most important thing is for us to draw closer to each other and to the Lord. Let's all go get help together, and let's become stronger as a family so we can face into this. But you just simply ask that question, uh, you know, can you explain to me what it means to have grace and truth with a young person struggling with uh, lesbianism or homosexuality or transgenderism or whatever? And all you're looking for, well, okay, how, what does it mean to have grace and truth? Well, grace, we want to show love and care and compassion for anyone who is struggling. And truth, we know that God has created men and women, and those are good, and he created sex for one man and one woman, marriage, and we want to counsel people to pursue that thinking and those behaviors. You are hired. When can I come? You see that? And if they can't in 20 seconds explain to you the grace and truth dynamic of Christian ministry with a person who's struggling, then you, you need to uh, dial the next number uh, in, in your book. Okay. I wish, um, again, really in my mind, I'm struggling up here uh, with getting uh, two long messages down to a short amount of time. So I know this is a crash course, and my anxiety with that is feeling like there's a lot of very important things that are just skimming over the surface. Tomorrow morning, we actually have a Q&A time after my morning message, so that probably would be ripe um, for, for some of your follow-up questions. But the very most, the most important thing that we can do when we have a child or any family member who has been taken captive by these struggles is to pray for them. And so we're going to pray right now. 
And uh, I'm actually gonna just specifically pray. I don't know, I, I imagine all of us have someone in our lives uh, who is struggling in this area. And so if you could be thinking of them while I pray, and we're gonna ask for the Lord's help, right? The Lord's grace and uh, for, for all, beginning with us. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, um, 100% of young people and 100% of us struggle in this area of sexuality. It is so powerful and so central to who we are that the enemy has made it a high priority to attack this area of our lives, to, to pervert it, to take us captive uh, through his plans for sexuality instead of yours. And tonight I specifically wanna lift up, um, beginning just those of us in this room, who are trapped, who are in bondage, who are in confusion, who are in addiction, would you first, Lord, give us the courage to just come to you with a humble, honest heart and then come to someone that we trust and to open up our heart to them and say, I, I need help and I've got an area of my life that I need God to give me freedom. And then, Lord, we lift up so many of our uh, family members and our friends too, but specifically our family members who have been taken captive with uh, homosexual attraction, with feeling trapped in the wrong body, uh, all these different things that we have, we have touched on tonight. And we wanna ask for even tonight while we're praying right now, people in this room, they have names of people in their minds, people that they love. Even tonight, I just wanna pray your Holy Spirit would break through, bring them freedom. Lord, speak to them, Lord, through your spirit of how loved they are by you. And how because of your love and because of Christ, there is forgiveness and there is freedom. And then use us, Lord. Use us as a light for Christ. Use us as instruments of grace and truth in their lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.